0: so of the opposition parties why workers party
1: uh, it's the most credible of the alternatives it's true like no, one, no, no further questions sure. <laughs>
2: how warm is your hum on my cockles <laughs> this is your daily catch up
0: Oh, awesome. Parliament is in session. Oh, oh. <laughs> so welcome, Dr. James. He He's here with us here today. Welcome. Hey, Thank you very
1: you. much. Hey. Thank you hey. for having me. And please do not call me doctor because even till today, my mother often introduces me and she'll say, this is my son. He's a doctor, but not the real kind that helps people. So <laughs> oh! You can see where her mind uh, has evolved. <laughs> so we call you uh, my son. Just James is absolutely <laughs> <a> fine. <friend. laughs> you, you a bit a PTSD for if, him. <laughs> if you wish, you can call me a boy as well, which is... Real. My mother yeah. calls me. <laughs> but that would, that, that would probably encompass half the Singaporean men. Uh, men.
0: That's true. So, Doctor James, I mean, James is here with us today to yeah. let us get to know him better and share more of his views with us as well. Yes. Yeah. You Thanks know, for
2: having me. Do you know I've caught you to come on this show in a very multi-dimensional manner?
1: Okay. Well, multi-dimensional. <laughs> I don't know so
2: many people have asked. Maybe you from party side. Maybe from the business community side maybe from <laughs> okay. your personal email side and your DMs.
0: So, currently, you are still teaching, right? I am. Can you share a bit more about like what was life
1: before politics like for you? Oh, well, I don't want to make all of you envious. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> academic life is... It's pretty swanky I, I like to think so <laughs> I chose it for a reason So it, It's not unusual That you have Teaching commitments Of course
0: Do you like teaching?
1: Right So I, I do it, the, you, you have You the swank now Yes <laughs> you see the swank Now That's just part of my Academic job I'll get uh, on the next part But I do want to answer The question about
0: He has a master's uh, in economics by, So for all those of well, I do people who Yes
1: don't I, I, I have probably Have too many Master's degrees But uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, on, <laughs> Wait, Have you seen the, the list? No Let's not go into that. But but I do want to answer the question about teaching because I enjoy talking about it because a big reason why I became an academic was in part because I have an interest in teaching. And this is one of those uh, incidences where you don't necessarily think that an episode will have an enduring impact in your life, but it does. I was uh, in JC. And at that time, we had a... I guess one of those scholar teachers that received some scholarship come and talk to us about thinking about teaching as a career. Of course, this was a school of students, all who wanted to be doctors or lawyers or rich financiers, right? So no one had interest to to be a teacher. And what happened was at the end of that talk, he did ask, you know, how many of you have thought about being a teacher? And it was deathly silence. And what happened was, well, he lost it. Uh, which was funny, he, 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 <laughs> he, he got angry and said, you guys are the elites um, of the next generation. If you do not countenance being a teacher yourself, then you should never, ever complain if your children are taught by people who aren't the best because you have chosen explicitly to give that up. And so it actually stuck with me.
0: You actually spent quite a bit of time like abroad, like studying and all that, right? What was that like for you?
1: So each country is different, of course. So I did my undergraduate in Australia, master's in uh, London and then a PhD in the US. And just
0: secretly trying to travel
1: travel (laughs) travel and also go to wine making regions of the world (laughs) so it's uh you can see a little trajectory there but essentially each country is different and you are also different when you go to each of these countries right when i first went to australia i was fresh out of NS. so you are a different person that was my first time genuinely living alone. I had to fend for myself, including learning that rotisserie chicken can last for many, many days in many different forms. (laughs) Uh, So you you learn little tricks on the trade like that, how to survive. And then by the time I was in London, I was more accustomed to adapting to being alone. But then London had harsher weather than where I was in Australia. So I had to cope with that, that element of, of living there. And then when I went to the US system, the US is a world unto itself is unfamiliar in many ways. Little things like they don't use the metric system. They use oh, the imperial yeah, yeah. system, pounds and Fahrenheit and so mm. on. And they drive on the other side of the road. So I almost routinely got killed every... in the first week or two and <laughs> I step on the road and I look on the wrong side. Right. Immediately after NS, you basically were not in Singapore already. So I did what's called an honours year in Australia. So that's a year or so. And then when I return, I did and like about nine months because of the difference in the northern and southern hemisphere academic years okay so i worked my first job my first real job what was it? Well, actually, I wouldn't say that's my first real job. I, my first real job was in Burger King. Um, Wait, what? So, yeah, yeah. My first, I, I worked- The part-time? Uh, part-time. <laughs> not, eh, not in Singapore, though, right? Yeah, in Singapore. You, ah. you guys didn't- You guys, you guys didn't, didn't work fast <laughs> food? I didn't anyway. so, so, okay. So, at, in my retail. time, it was between McDonald's and Burger King. Burger King, <laughs> uh, McDonald's paid two bucks an hour. Mm. McDonald's, well, is way back <laughs> yeah yes way back and make and burger king paid 212 or 213 so the, i was like living yeah, it up yeah, i yeah. broke into burger king no, yeah, rather yeah. than mcdonald's but my first job with a firm so it was with jp morgan uh, right. an investment bank that's since been taken over but so i worked there for about six seven months and then i went on did my master's the master's was paid for by an institute so i came back and served out my bond for about a year right but yeah, essentially, I had been abroad for many, many years. You, until... you spend
2: most of your 20s studying then, essentially. Yeah, yeah.
1: So until recently, I had lived more abroad than I have in Singapore. But, but then, like, you
0: like studying, kind
1: well, my mom regrets uh, telling me that I should study. Uh, <laughs> when, for I stopped. So, <laughs> <laughs> so f- first year was bugging me to keep studying, and then eventually she was like, No, no, you need to stop. Uh, it's time to stop. <laughs> did you meet your wife while you were in the US? I did. Well, uh, yes and no. So, we met online. So we oh, met, nice. Yes, yes, yes. His so wife
0: so, is Chilean. She's oh, Chilean wow. American. Yeah.
1: So, we met online, and, and it's funny because we intersect in many, many ways, nice. uh, just personality <laughs> and so on. But we ran in completely different circles. So we would never have otherwise met. She worked, Sorry, this was a different time. How long ago was this? Well, I'm sure people still meet online now, no? Like dating app. No, no, no. It wasn't uh, the <laughs> fast, fast kind of swipey kind of right. app. Uh, so this was, we met on Match.com. <gasps> oh, so we're one of those yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But so, so that we for that. <laughs> we got married in 2010 So we met about three or four years before wait so how does that work match.com so you get a bunch of profiles and you it's like Dindale, but they claim to be but there's, there's text <laughs> just yeah. as important it's not just Photos, right? right, you, right. You, you you do see a photo, and usually your first point of contact is through an email, a protected email. So you send like a message via the platform to them. Right? So that was nice. It was a bit accelerated in the sense that. But how
0: you craft your first like cover letter? She
1: been like, When you start, it, it's, it's fast, right? So so I reacted to something she had written, which was she said she was a writer. So I yeah. asked what she oh, wrote about. be the most boring conversation. No, no, <laughs> well, okay. yeah, yeah. It it worked for me So I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily Recommend it to everyone But but what happened was That our messages Got longer and longer And because It's the speed of email Right In the past If you wrote during my parents' time, you write love letters and you yeah, would yeah, take a week or two and then you kind of smell the letters, whatever. whatever. <laughs> sure, sure. But we were doing this basically on a daily basis. So mm. we exchanged maybe a dozen letters before we met. So by the time we met, we felt we already knew each other in many ways. Right. Were
0: you scared that she's like a catfish? Because
1: um, <laughs> they only buy her yes, yeah.
0: like photos and then emails her.
1: Well, I guess until the first time you meet, there's going to be that mutual thing, right? Like yeah. she was worried that I would be five foot two. And <laughs> so, so everyone has their own worries when they are on an app of this nature. But that's why I guess you do reach out to more than one individual. Because in principle, the promise of the universe or, or whoever else is on that app continues to be there, right? Yeah, 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 And you meet someone and at some point you have to say, look, this is... This is who I want. This, And you have to decide that the promise of someone better isn't there. So you, you then commit to someone and you remove your profile and you stay with that person.
0: Do you remember mm. the moment where you like what that you decided you wanted to marry her?
1: Ooh. <laughs> so I, I don't remember a date, but I remember the sensation. So cute. A, a bit sappy, but... Yeah, yeah I love it. <laughs> so when I was younger, I would watch more rom-coms um, and... At the end of a given rom-com, you, you have this kind of, the mm. kind of feelings that rom-com try to evoke in you, yeah, right? Yeah. It's kind of sappy, kind of sweet, but yet yearning, especially if you aren't seeing someone. And I remember there was a time when I exited the cinema after watching one of these things. And I don't think it was even with her, but I didn't have that yearning any longer. And mm. at that time, we were already dating and, and I felt comfortable and I... Kind of knew that this was someone that I could be with right. for the rest of my yeah. life. Movie magic <laughs> yeah, sure. isn't specifically to do with the movie as much yeah. as a sensation yeah. Yeah, yeah. of knowing that this was. that like
0: you realized that something changed.
1: Yeah, that, that something was different in yeah. you. Yeah, and. I was just happy already. I was happy. I totally didn't expect that. I thought he was going to say you put the ring in the cake. (laughs) Oh, no, no. So, so. So, the the proposal, that you have to take that seriously, right? So, I had to get the ring before that. I went with two of my friends to New York. We wanted to get it from Tiffany's. So, I went to the actual (laughs) Tiffany's. Well, I remember a few things. One is that parking was ridiculous. It was 50 bucks an hour or something like that. Something ridiculous in New York City. Uh, The other thing was that I was looking for a ring that was at least of a certain value because mm. it's about the value, right? So the, the guy <laughs> kept showing me rings and he kept saying, wow, well, this is bigger and this is bigger. Mm. And I was like, no, no, no. I don't want something bigger. Mm. Do you have something smaller but more expensive? And he was very confused. <laughs> um, we went to Switzerland. Well, I was in Switzerland for, for a conference. So it was a trip for her. And for me, it was mm. work. bundling work right, together right, right. with right. the trip. The weather is very unpredictable. So it was a beautiful day. Mm. And I was like, no, we can't waste this, right? So mm. you, I may not get the same chance in, in subsequent days. So she was dead tired. She had flown across the Atlantic. She mm. was uh, exhausted from the trip. But I said, no, no, no. I gave yeah. exactly the reason, which is you, you never know what the weather is going to be. So let's go for a walk. So we went out for a walk. And so that's where where I popped the question.
0: Why did you decide to come back to Singapore then? Well,
1: quite straightforward. To do what I'm doing now, I wanted to serve the country.
0: Oh, you specifically came back for... Oh. So you
1: you came back and reached out
2: to a a political party.
1: I had in fact reached out to them even prior to coming back. I knew that I was interested in serving. I knew that I was interested in offering alternatives and being able to speak freely about the alternatives I had in mind and so I reached out and I was volunteering with them um, right. at a distance so it was
2: workers party from the
1: start you had. yeah right from the start right is there a
0: reason why like maybe out of all the opposition parties or so. oh, they-
1: even the incumbent for example yeah no, so so I was definitely not going to go with the incumbent because I felt that my contribution would best be from a position where I could speak freely and, right. and not be either self-censored or feel constrained that I had to limit my, what but I But do you then share. feel
2: that you, are, you, you now have the ability to speak as freely as you intended though?
1: Well, you have to be responsible about what, what you propose, of course. But yeah. insofar as not being able to say something because it's the current policy and it, the, I you feel that the current policy isn't working I, I have freedom at least within reason to, to right. flag those
0: yeah. so of the opposition parties why workers party
1: uh, it's the most credible of the alternatives it's true like no, one, no, no further questions you <laughs> <Sure> Honor. <enough>. <laughs> <laughs> so was politics always in the cards like was that like an end, end goal yeah, so, so it's funny uh, when I was younger
2: ah yes the answer is
1: yes <laughs> ah so when I was <laughs> when I was 19 after I got my A-level results I
0: hated the education system. I said,
1: let me change this. <laughs> well, I didn't do that well for my A-levels. I did well enough to get into uh, NUS and University College London. So, right. uh, but those were in economics. I, my first choice was actually law. Uh, I couldn't get into NUS law. So I had to genuinely start to ask myself, what am i gonna do and why did i want to do this and that was when my dad he certainly wiser than, than i was at the time asked me why i what i wanted to do and i said well i i'm i would like to serve the country it was i was interested in politics and i th- i explained that i thought having a background in law was a mm. fairly typical way to get into that profession and well he knew that i was a softie, so He was opposed to it. Uh, Funnily enough, he he did not think that I had the gumption for what it took to be uh, in politics. But he also asked me why, why necessarily law. And that led me to rethink. And I started studying a little bit of computer studies. I ended up with a diploma in that. And from there, I parlayed that into credits that I then applied to a degree in economics. And and once I found economics, then I, I think I found something I, I loved as I shared earlier on, but it was also something that I could specialize in and become, and gain a certain degree of expertise. And I think that's a general lesson, right? I mean, all of you are experts in your own domains, whatever you do. Arguably. And once you, once <laughs> you find that and you recognize that that is where your skill set lies then you try your best to run with that as far as you can mm. and so for me it was economics and I could run with that and I found that it opened doors in terms of public policy global public policy I worked for so I worked for the World Bank and it opened doors in research which I enjoyed and academia and then it ultimately opened the doors in public policy making back here in Singapore
0: So what would you say was like the most daunting part of your first election? Like I would imagine it's like the debate you know like <laughs>
1: No, I actually had fun during the debate. Yeah, you look like you
0: You gain a lot of fans <laughs> in the debate. Well, I,
1: again, I, as I explained, you try to be yourself. So I think I was myself. I'm an academic and a big part of what we do as academics is we sit around the table and we debate. talk debate about policies. <laughs> right. And the nice thing about that debate was that while we did have a time constraint, we were generally free in terms of the form in which mm. the exchange took place. It was much more organic in that sense, much, yeah. much more conv- conversational. This cockles of your heart thing that caused an entire
2: internet sensation was it part of your day to day vocabulary?
0: Hello, everybody. If you're not afraid to vote. <laughs> if you're not afraid to vote, W P, like, share, and subscribe. If you're afraid, comment down below. I'm a pussy. Okay. Back to the episode.
1: So everything I said, um, but It's just stuff that I say So in your and conversations With your friends Yeah my friends really I mean, I, 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 In fact now heart. I no longer say it Because of that <laughs> uh, But That's a weird thing to say It is it, Well oh, you, it's a man of the world Where, where it, do you get this from it, Which country No no it's, it's a phrase It's not an unusual phrase I, again, I don't know uh, yeah. I don't know the provenance of, of everything I say But my My friends will tell you that I say some pretty weird things <laughs> And uh and I use anachronisms that people just don't know where it comes from and right. I'm not trying to evade this but I, I genuinely don't know right it's just like you <laughs> you learn things yeah. that you incorporate they internalize that no, just becomes like who you
2: are but I guess that year was also the year where the ruling party lost the most seats
1: in Singapore just and this is again my own Analysis In most divisions, you start off with the incumbent as maybe having 40% of the extant vote and then vote share. And then if you are in opposition, uh, you probably start off below that. So 20, 25%. And what I sensed that a combination of factors, our work on the ground, our outreach. Your um, internet sensationalism as well. I don't know about sensationalism, but uh, the... The exposure you got for the party Mm, during the debate and so on and so forth. I think all that got us to 40%. So then we were neck and neck. Mm, Hiring for your small
2: business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: And that last 20, that's the marginal voter. And that's who you are trying to convince. Right. And again, you do your best. And I believe in the process. It, it is yeah. what the voters of Sengkang wanted. And, and WP social media game was the strongest it's ever been that year. You guys are the media people. Uh, I, I <laughs> do know that we have a fantastic media team. Mm. Mm. Again, all volunteers. So we're very proud <sighs> to have that kind of support.
0: So who's your best friend in the workers party? <laughs> <laughs> are you actually friends? The, we're yeah, like we're both friends
1: as well as colleagues. So yeah. in the sense that just like in any group of people, professionals who have to work together, you get together predominantly because you have to work together. Yeah. But at the same time, you build friendships because you work together. So you all don't make a random Saturday night like yeah. shoot shit, for example. So watch I I, I hang out a lot with my team members, with uh, Ru and with Lewis, because we work so much together. And so even out of the context of our time in Singkang, we sometimes they come over for a meal, right. so so we do that.
0: I would like to say that my mum taught Mister Lewis Chinese. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, he, he no, wait, really. Very nice guy. He still like will say sing the Kweiler order to my mum. <laughs> very nice
2: guy. Is Mister Putam like a very scary guy?
1: No, he a but bit. he well he, he's, he's tall, so to, to <laughs> yeah. No man, I don't know him. we are welcome. He's pretty <laughs> tall, so to, for for some that could be intimidating. He he does have a beard and for some that could be intimidating <laughs> um,
0: they both have
2: kind
1: of a beard how dare you, you no, no, no 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 this is nothing but no no he's not he's he in fact what I really respect about Ritam is his dedication to Mm. Uh, the cause of, of how the how was
2: he when during the the Raisa Khan incident like I mean shit happens right and I'm not questioning what happened but how was how did he take it in that time
1: I can't speak for him because I mean that's for him to say but I think we were all discouraged of course mm. disappointed that it happened I would like to think that just as I said earlier on everyone can make mistakes yeah and I don't think she should have done what she did. I think she should have uh, corrected it sooner. But mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, maybe that disappointment stems from in fact, it was completely unnecessary too. Mm. It wasn't necessary for her to insert uh, that particular anecdote yep. uh, into the point she was making. But it was from a good place lah, in that sense. It, well, mm. it's, I think it, I it, it started plan? from her deeply wanting to identify Mm. with that situation mm. uh, and in, at some level as she shared also identifying with that situation mm. I'm someone that believes in in forgiveness yeah um, and I would have hoped that we can focus much less on issues of this nature and much more on either making things better on the ground for families and, and households or at the policy level mm. not this kind of, inci- yeah right. these are ultimately transient
0: mm. Recently on the appeal of 377A, so uh, Mr. Pritam Singh actually like lifted the party whip for mm-hmm. you guys to vote freely, right? Why was that important for you and like, what was your stance on it, if you're able to share?
1: This was one of those where I had to genuinely weigh an individual position against my responsibilities as a representative. My personal position was... I think it's pretty clear for the things i've done and and if you look at the sentiments i posted and also just in the speech that i've shared for the actual debate but where i think a less personal position was when we had to vote on the constitutional amendment which was the Mm. accompanying legislation i made an argument on the basis of constitutional design and what it meant to balance between individualism and majoritarianism. I was convinced by the argument in the, personally. It was, it's, a, it's a bit philosophical. I tried my best to convey that somewhat philosophical position in a way that I hope people could understand. But that was why we I at least voted in that particular way for the constitutional amendment. I felt that I had a responsibility to reflect not just a majority, but I think an overwhelming majority of the sentiments of the people I represent. You genuinely need to allow yourself to take a back seat and your mm-hmm. personal preferences to take a backseat.
0: So just for the sake of discussion, right, did you feel like this Like having like an additional, like constitutional part that they were talking about. Did it feel like, uh, like give the drumstick, take away the chicken wing, uh, take away the whole chicken kind of argument that people like to make? So so
1: I understand why certain individuals might feel that way, especially Mm. those in the LGBTQ community, because Mm. they would have wanted additional access, especially for certain kinds of public services. Mm. That said, I think that there were differences between the two. I'm hopeful still that one day the country will move toward a position where we see that just because you are LGBTQ and you are a couple you don't compromise anyone else's ability to access public services. <laughs> Trending so is. so I'm trading think, with you. Well <laughs> so I hope that we will move in that direction. And it will have to be a decision that comes with the the natural ebbs and flows of democracy. Like it or not, it's a balance between individualism and majoritarianism. In this case, Mm. it is about majoritarianism. Even those countries that have legalized gay marriage, no society has actually gone there without, I think, also a substantial shift in public Attitudes Toward this matter You may say that ultimately yeah. There were judicial actions And so on and so forth But if you look carefully In most of those cases There was also a shift In societal attitudes We remain As a society A fairly socially conservative one And so Perhaps Singaporeans as a whole Are not quite ready Yeah. But if you study Social phenomena Social movements You know that these things can flip on the switch and mm. there's uh, almost a, a kind of a groundswell when it evolves.
0: So some, another thing that you've championed quite a bit like in your run as well was minimum wage, right? Mm. Do you think that has changed at all?
1: Yeah, so uh, funnily enough, so the, there is a scheme in Singapore called the Local Qualifying Salary. I don't know if you have heard of it, essentially says that if you want to hire a foreigner, mm. uh, then you need to pay Singaporeans a certain minimum. And I forget the specific number, but I think the local qualifying salary is something in the order of 1500 or 1600 now. Mm. And what is nice and clean about this approach is that it now effectively gives you a minimum wage as long for Singaporeans only because this applies only to Singaporeans as long as you want to hire a foreigner mm. I hope we can one day evolve into a universal minimum wage regardless of whether you're Singaporean or not
2: when the economic conditions are suitable
1: well, for that not just that but it's tricky because there are some structural changes that the economy will have to go through Yeah. so for starters domestic helps they don't have this minimum wage and so it will completely change nature of domestic help in Mm. our economy it's not that it's impossible lots of countries especially advanced industrialized countries are able to also have forms of domestic help and so on and so forth perhaps live in perhaps not uh, that while respecting minimum wage stipulations similarly our construction industry is extremely uh, labor intensive Mm. and that itself would have to change and our expectations for how things are built and the kind of capital equipment that will be required for that would have to also change and so mm. it comes back down to a rebalancing of the balance between capital and labour with changes in our production model moving away from just an emphasis on cheap labor and toward complementing that labor with more capital, and in turn, increasing productivity and hence increasing remuneration associated with workers, mm. then they become more able to pay for these things. In part, why there is resistance now is because people think, look, I'm barely living paycheck to paycheck, and so yeah. they're still struggling. It, it does so, feel
2: like Singapore's development comes with a form of a social agreement whereby we think of ourselves as giving jobs to immigrants that otherwise might not have a job to be very Mm -hmm. honest right to come here and build and develop our country infrastructurally for a quarter of a price that a Singaporean might do it for and yet at the same time for you as an MP coming in to say okay let's, let's protect lives which admirable right which is and everyone can get behind that but there's an arbitrary grey line that's drawn somewhere. At which point, so we, we push it high enough. Singaporeans pay for the price of, of equal treatment, which we, have a, we as a country have not decided, in a sense, whether we are willing to pay for it. Well,
1: that. for starters, yeah. so, so firstly, I agree with you, obviously, that it cannot happen overnight. You cannot say, oh, we're, we're just going to suddenly pay everyone with this minimum wage because the, the economic model is not ready to take mm. that. So there has to be a transition period. I would agree more with you if we don't see this working elsewhere, but we do. We In mm. many, many other advanced economies, we see an alternative vision where Singaporeans are paid more, for starters, because the model is such that they have more complementary capital, so they improve their productivity, and so their wages go up. They, as a result, have a larger share of national income. We have one of the lowest labour share of national income as opposed to capital. And when that happens, then individuals will become more empowered to be in a position to be willing to pay more. My sense, my view, which is personal, but also the view of of the Workers' Party is that we hope that one day we will be able to move to one. And again, we're not expecting that suddenly we become this socialist Mm. uh, utopia. I hope not. No, because (laughs) that's not actually actually in our in our vision at all. Yeah, but you, you, it are, is, you are not it is to saying recalibrate that Singapore's that
2: strategy of attracting foreign direct investment was a bad decision, right? No, no, okay, no, okay. because
1: it got us to where we were today. Yeah. But, but now at some point here. it had to evolve. Okay. And I would argue that the point where it had to evolve was 10 to 15 years ago. Right, and right. we haven't gotten there.
2: I mean, from a layman point of view, it does feel like this: the country has not produced entrepreneurs of that caliber um, or is there a bigger problem? Like we haven't we just created just, our own Samsung, for example.
1: I think that's symptomatic of an underlying problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we don't have a certain degree of entrepreneur spirit. We don't have a certain degree of risk taking and innovativeness. And that really must come right from the start, right? I have a three year old daughter and already I meet parents. Some of them related to me uh, who are stressing out about how much mm-hmm. their kids are learning in school. The kids are three, four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you N- suck to be a three. Then kid they're old coding. Old. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be setting this kind yeah. of arbitrary benchmarks for the kids. And I think we still need to wrap our heads around as a society. So I don't say this just for any given individual, is that we have to understand that even the nature of knowledge and what productive knowledge is. It's no longer what it used to be about being able to solve calculus questions or being able to regurgitate the different parts of the human taxonomy and so on and so forth. Nobody cares about this. You can look it up. What is important is an approach toward problem solving. Firstly, being able to think of innovative ways to solve an existing problem. And secondly, being able to ask questions about what problems are there to be solved. And until we get there, until we realize that there is much more value in these processes rather than just the ability to reproduce the corpus of human knowledge, which is vast. We will continue to be stuck in, in a mindset where we will be excellent executors. So we'll be great operators. But is that what you want? Is You want a nation of operators, a, a nation of number twos. It does feel like Singapore had the
2: advantage of looking at the world as it was, right? Looking at America, even at late stage capitalism, taking the best from civilization around the world and then really just kind of modeling that. So if we look at, for example, what's the unfair advantage of generational wealth in America is the ability for them to, because they have that wealth and influence, to give their children education and network that other children in America do not have. And Singapore kind of saw that, copied that to the point where we all have that and then you and are, we reach a point of hyper competitiveness in a country where there's no one to compete with no no sense. no you
1: reach a point where you're at the frontier so we are yeah. at the global frontier so now the hard work begins of pushing the boundaries of that frontier and we don't know how to do that that's why we don't have nobel prize winners that's why we don't have uh, high mm. numbers of innovators and and the samsung's as you yeah. mentioned we, and so we jump
2: to the front without building our way there i feel
1: well, no, we mm. we no. To be fair, we built our way there. We we benefited, of course, from imported capital and, mm. but our peoples worked blood and sweat and tears to get there. And our forefathers, as well as even us today, as I said, being an operator isn't a walk in the park. I know it sounds like it's denigrating, but no, no. It's you to be a good operator. Yeah. You you have to have something there too. But have we only valued? being a good operator to a point where we forget that is this, this complete other dimension of being the one to push the boundaries. If you look at all the innovators, they're not the smartest kid on the block necessarily. Mm. They're the ones that think differently, that dare to question the established rules and regimes. They are the ones that are willing to try something and fail and actually have enough character to then pick themselves up and say, well, let's go again. And I think that we are trying to evolve our educational system in some ways toward allowing more of this, but we haven't gotten there. And it comes from both supply and demand. When I say demand, I mean, our parents, young parents have to be willing to say, my child has to have a different model. I'm reminded of this example. I can't remember where it was, but it was this, this girl. It was one of those cases where there was a scandal about getting into universities. And one of these girls was already making 5000 or 10000 a month from her social media outreach and so on and so forth. And then her parent decided that she needed to go to university and then kind of pulled her out of that right. uh, career. And it's like... She does this. She does this really well. Mm. Uh, only fans, and it's lucrative. <laughs> well, I don't. Know, no, it wasn't. I don't think it was only, only fans, but it's lucrative, <laughs> and yet because of a lack of understanding and because of a mindset that is still stuck in the previous century and the models of the pre- previous century, we say, yeah, no, no, we need to understand that ultimately value is what other people are willing to pay for, and mm. if we understand that inherently we will be able to create products we will be able to create products that other people want and then we create our own value we that's how we create entrepreneurs
2: right so OnlyFans <laughs> not, not j- joking but also not joking because the subscription model can serve for anything right not just
1: the explicit stuff right I'm not gonna be endorsing only fans. <laughs> OnlyFans
0: <laughs> okay so thank you very much James, for joining us today and sharing oh, so much with us yeah. it's my pleasure like, share, and subscribe and we'll see you in the next episode. I think a lot of us might not know that Jamis is actually an ordained minister. <laughs> like,
2: oh, is it? Yeah. So, anyway, I was trying to find out how to
1: do one, you know, how to, how to become. Uh, you go online. it's <laughs> so hard. No, no, no. You so need the, a referral the, the, no, from no, no, a religious
2: so, leader. I'm like, oh, I'm out. Because so, my friend wanted so, to get so ordained.
1: For the universal life Church, look, it, this is an <laughs> online thing. You go online, you pay 40 bucks or whatever it is and you check the boxes. Literally, you click on the boxes to say I affirm the values of peace and love (laughs) and so on and you get the you get this thing that you can then frame in your wall. Really, for us, uh, <laughs> we, we, we lived in California. And in California, it was a little bit of an inside joke that if you got one of these things, uh, you actually had the right to marry your friends. Mm. So it was something that we yeah, 40 bucks for that laugh. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it, it was something that, I, that a, a number of us ended up doing so uh, so that's why i I ended up doing that i know that the internet has its way of uh, looking deeply at signals of what that may mean
2: planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince